Day and welcome to the Pandemi Show. Stories of the Pandemi for people living in the Pandemi. No one is alone on the Pandemi Show. Thanks for joining us as we unite humanity through stories of hope, connection, and community in the face of the global pandemic. We are all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Thanks for taking a moment to like, subscribe, and follow the Pandemi Show on social media. We're transcending time and space to talk with someone on the Waterloo Moraine in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, on the Grand River Watershed. Who are you? Susan Coswin. Susan, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Pandemic Show. I would just like to say that I'm recording this interview on the Upper Canada Treaty Territory, on the traditional home of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and the Neutrals, Keepers of the Deer. Thanks for joining us, Susan. Can you tell us what was your life like pre-pandemic? Well, it was perfect. <laughs> I mean, didn't we all have perfect lives in comparison, right? There's a lot of things that we're missing. Every life and every week has a, a rhythm to it. I, I, I felt that I had sort of achieved this really nice rhythm to my life. I, I've been a stay-at-home mom for whatever, 30 years or something, but I've been busy working on environmental issues and and just writing and wrote a novel, all this sort of thing, right? Raised my kids, they grew up, went off to university, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of thing, right? Because of that, because I'm not going like nine to five jobs, I've always had anchors in my life that have been really important to me. And, and some of them have been environmental, some have been music and just doing lunch with friends, right? <laughs> Once in a while. So, so that kind of rhythm got really disrupted. So, so I think that's the biggest difference is, you know, they talk about the word, we're using the words pivoting a lot and, and sort of continually having to pivot and change and, and move. And, you know, it, it feels like a tennis game or something. I don't know. I, I kind of have that that sort of visual thing of sort of one or basketball, you know, you have one foot here, you have to keep one foot and you're kind of always moving around with the other foot. <laughs> Susan, I'm just so glad that you were able to join us here today on the pandemic show. No one's alone on the pandemic show. We're working here to unite humanity with stories of shared experience. And you pointed out a big difference, the change from how many connections, human connections you had to then the lockdown situation with less human connections. And that is something that all of us have been experiencing throughout the pandemic. Yeah, we have to find different ways to connect with people. One thing that I do find is that there's a big difference this year with Omicron than, than it was last year before we were vaccinated. We were finding all these ways to get together outside in the freezing. People bought heaters, people bought things to find ways that we could stay outside as long as possible without freezing our butts off in Canadian winters, right? Yeah. And, and still having that connection because it's it's just so different online or texting. So it's like <gasps> seeing a real person. But a lot of us are losing our ability to converse with each other. Social media has made a bit of a difference because there's a lot of monologuing happening. There's not this direct feedback that we're getting we're missing the behind masks we're missing all the the body clues that we would normally have to respond to someone else so there's a lot of harm being done but it just shows how resilient and amazing we are 
that we are keeping the connections or finding out what the most important connections are in our life with people. Delana, Gail Bowen, and many other guests that we've been fortunate enough to talk to on the pandemic show seasons one, two, and now unfortunately season three, is that this is a time for people to look inside and think about what they're unhappy with with themselves. And if you have the privilege of being able to do that, this is a great time for that. Technology is a great substitute. It's not a perfect substitute. I was just thinking about it recently. I think my the amount of hugs I was getting in 2019 to the amount of hugs I'm getting now, it's gone down 99.999%. And that when you hug someone, your hearts are touching. And that is a big change because the human species, we are such a pack animal. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. For sure. Big tragedy in, in my life was losing my partner of 31 years last year. And, um, but, but my, our youngest son has been living living with us since, um, you know, I guess basically his plans got um, hijacked <laughs> because of the pandemic. So he had been planning on moving to another country to work. So, so he's been living here. And, you know, it, it's so sweet when your 25 year old son gives you a hug every night. <laughs> and my condolences and the condolences from the pandemic show and the people of the pandemic on the passing of Lawrence. I just want to say he was a fantastic Euchre partner. Now he I was know not, not David. everyone. I know not, not everyone David. agrees. <laughs> I know not everyone agrees, including you, Susan. But I remember, it, I remember Groundhog Day, February 2019. Groundhog Day, February 2018. And Lawrence and I were doing great as Euchre partners at the Groundhog Day Euchre tourney. So my condolences to you and the boys. Yeah, we were, well, the, one of the, the really nice, well, I don't know, nice things. During the pandemic, the St. Mary's Quarry had opened up and I, and we wanted to get out and, and swim. And I liked what they were doing because you would sort of book for a couple of hours. It was outside. They were limiting the number of people who could go in there. Obviously, it's it's a very deep and whatever quarry. And as I said, we had been there multiple times and and this day he went in snorkeling and he didn't come back out what a special man and what a wonderful legacy he's lived and i know our family we've lost people during the pandemic and the whole ritual around grieving and end of life has been so disrupted yeah. with in season one of the pandemic where there was pretty much not you know we hadn't pivoted to where now in season three of the pandemic where it's almost the worst part of the pandemic even Thank goodness yeah. for vaccinations. Now, I know in Ontario, someone close to me is celebrating an end-of-life funeral for their father, but they're allowed to have 25 people inside and able... So it's just much different. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a really hard time to grieve and to remember, but I do take comfort in knowing that people are still with us in our hearts and yeah. they're still with us every day. I just wanted to share this because it was, it was really special for me. We were never going to have big funerals. And so based on knowing him all those years, it, it was going to be as simple as possible. So we went for cremation and on his birthday, which was like a month and a half later, we were fortunate the weather was really good. And, and Lawrence loved chili and Lawrence loved chocolate. <laughs> and we have a big enough backyard that I thought we could have some people in the backyard and, and share some chili and share some chocolate. And my, my neighbor actually has put in a, a pollinator patch at the local school. 
and I said, can we plant a tree there in, in Lawrence's memory? Not actually putting the ashes there because that's illegal, but, but could we plant a memorial tree there? So, so we bought a service buried tree. A Friday night, we went and dug the hole and where it was going to be. And then Saturday, it, it felt like this European funeral somehow because we put the service buried tree in a wagon and we all walked up to the school you know, <laughs> following this tree and and it just we got everyone to wear really bright colors because Lawrence loved bright colors and and it was just just very I don't know felt very European or you know something from out of Fellini's movie right this powerful <laughs> powerful and just you describing it to me warmed me up and what a positive celebration thank you for sharing susan i really appreciate that yeah outside is where it's at now for interacting and people are having to be outside in the winter which is making the pandemic really tough but have you noticed that people are also almost taking inside outside it's like we can't be inside so they're making their garage almost like an inside or they're building a a gazebo or some type of structure that's outside so it's like it's we're taking inside and we're going outside but making an inside yeah but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) i i think it's a really good thing i mean some people are definitely you know going to a far greater extreme on that but it's good it's it's amazing i've played scrabble outside with a friend in in january last year i have barbecues in their backyard and and just you just do it and and you find different things i mean maybe we're going for walks more where we would have sat and had lunch or coffee or something so so it's probably good for our physical health to be doing these kinds of things they just want to stay warm right <laughs> i've noticed that i have a greater sense of connection with the natural world now than i did pre-pandemic and pre-pandemic i loved going out into the bush i loved going down the nith river I, I love being out in the forest. I love being near the hummingbird feeder. I love being by the frog pond. I love being by the pasture. I like watching the chickens eat toads. I liked watching- Fireflies, like fireflies. The, the fireflies, absolutely. All of those types of things. <laughs> but I feel now more connected than ever before. I don't know if it's because of my age or if it was the pandemic and the isolation from other humans, how that's impacted me. I know a trend with people too is that other people are feeling this as well. Like they're noticing their backyard birds. They're noticing that squirrel that lives in their yard. They're noticing those types of phenomena. I know I was going out to my car one day to go for to go somewhere and I noticed a bee stuck upside down in a dew droplet. Okay. And I was able to cooperate with the bee and get it onto a bush. Looked a little wobbly. So I repositioned it to the ground. I didn't know if I should put it in the Bacchus position or what. But I just wanted to be there for that bee. But if I wasn't living this slower pandemic lifestyle, would I have just rushed into my car, fired it up, got the dogs in the back, and been off business as usual? The the different the time and space seeing yeah. is different during the pandemic. Do you think there's a trend where people are going to be more connected to the natural world and then hopefully take more ownership in being better stewards than we have been? Yeah, I hope we don't forget that about this time when, you know, when we move into to post-COVID times. There's, there's been all sorts of, you know, there, there's science-based evidence that being in nature is good for you. I mean, lowers your blood pressure. There's, is it called plant terpenes or something that are in the forest? And just breathing in, you know, just does amazing things for, for you physically. 
in and they're talking about working in soil and there's microbes in there that actually act as antidepressants. I, I, I know there's definitely more people are, are putting in yards there because we've had to have staycations. So we're, we are looking around just at our, and, and I hope this really, we really keep this is, is you know, we, we spend so much money to buy properties and homes and, and then we're off at work, we're off on vacation somewhere and we're always leaving it. Now we're kind of like, wow, what can we do with what we have right here? How can I be the best steward of, of my own, you know, spot that, that I, I'm managing right now? Because we, we put in a, a couple of raised garden beds this year. I am ridiculously excited about these gardens <laughs> and when things were growing in them and you know, it was a project that my, that my son and I had this year. What did you grow in your raised beds? I got excited when you mentioned that because I think of my dad's raspberry and strawberry raised beds, which ever-bearing, get the ever-bearing strawberries and the ever-bearing raspberry plants and you are in for delicious times. Oh, oh, exactly. We did plant quite a bit of vegetables and, and, and it was so exciting. Like for, for, for Christmas Eve, one of the traditions that we have is, is to have borscht and, you know, kind of a Ukrainian pierogies and this sort of thing, right? So the beets that we had grown in the garden made my Christmas Eve beet borscht. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. But I, I, I planted these purple runner beans and, and just there were so many. So kind of got a little tired of the, the beans after a while, but... <laughs> Everything beans, beans, the magical fruit, the and more you see, eat. <laughs> you got it, toots. <laughs> you got it, toots, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I remember a conversation I had years ago, and she was teaching me that the earliest definition of fertilizer was pulling a weed by hand. That was the original definition of fertilizer. And now we have these petrochemical-based fertilizers, and we have monoculture-based agriculture in the hundreds of acres to a field. The world has just changed so much. And when I hear about your raised uh, bed garden and your Christmas dinner being provided by the delicious beets your family grew, it makes me think, how many other families are reconnecting with their food supply during this pandemic as well? It's just every aspect of our lives is being impacted by the pandemic and what about those people that don't have access to a garden space i know early on in the pandemic community gardens there was it was quite controversial where community gardens going to be able to be open and yeah. food security and knowing how to grow food it's almost more important than learning how to read it's it's absolutely a critical issue and and, and i think that's where the, the school system is is missing these kind of really hands-on kind of practical skills you know i think they got of what used to be called home ec and, and shop and I don't know whatever it's called now but but just you know how to balance a budget like people are are math illiterate they they need these skills and we need critical thinking skills and we need hands-on skills how do you fix a sock you know it's they're so critical you know civilizations have fallen in the past because they degraded their land and there wasn't food to feed the people and there just wasn't land to move to that was clean so we're we're looking forward to a big crisis until we get this food thing sorted out the weather globally has been wild since the pandemic arose it was getting wild before we're having horrible cyclones in india wild hurricanes in the southern united states fires all over the place flooding all over the place i'm thankful for the wind i'm thankful for the fresh air and when i hear these violent winds i don't remember when i was younger these high speed winds that are ripping through where I live, it's yeah. making me think something is out of whack. Deforestation, monoculture, and I'm just excited to think that 
these horrible weather incidents we're having could be part of the wake-up call because I think there's some simple solutions, planting more trees, protecting our water, changing our consumer habits from disposable consumption to more circular consumption where we try to recycle things. Now, we are in season three of the pandemic, that stage where the anti-vaxxers in the States are starting to drink their own urine for covid protection so it's wild <laughs> times it's it's wild it feels like times, end times but it, it is a like survival for so many people early on in the pandemic season one there was a chill on environmental advocacy and social justice work since that time we see things going on in bc around fairy creek trying to protect the old growth on vancouver islands the earth guardians and land defenders are getting out there what do you think is going to happen in terms of organizing and getting political change? Because change takes so long, but we've seen with COVID that massive change and cooperation can happen in a short period of time. What do you think is going to happen? One of my biggest concerns, and, and we've seen this, is is that we can only handle one crisis at a time. So, so until we kind of get past COVID, everything else is going to be sitting in the, in the background. When people say they're concerned about the environment, it, it doesn't mean they actually do anything. So the majority of people are deeply concerned about climate change, especially younger people. I saw a sign once that said, you're going to die of old age, I'm going to die of climate change. And I thought, oh, yeah, wow, this is scary. People, younger people are deciding not to have families because they're concerned about it. And And we need to, what words are we using? Is, is it a change? Is it a crisis? Is it a you know, disaster. And, and I'm starting to say it's climate crisis. It, it may be slow moving, but it's picking up speed, just like the wind that keeps blowing through here. <laughs> There's so many things that we're doing wrong. Uh, how do we speak? How do we speak truth to power? Yeah. And over the last hundred years, there's been such radical revolutionary change. I'm hoping that we, if the people lead, the government will follow. And I think the crisis, it's getting, hopefully it'll get some action because everybody's concerned about the children and the children's children. And now it's more clear than ever that housing's unaffordable. The supply chains we thought were going to keep us secure with whatever commodities we needed, they've shown that they're not as robust. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I wonder if that's what's going to be the unifier is people concerned about the next generation, the youth and their, and their grandchildren. You know, when you're talking about the unifier, I mean, this, this to me is, is absolutely critical because we're so polarized. Even if you look at, at people who are, are trying to look into the future, one of the most important books that I have read and learned about is called The Donut Economy by Kate Reworth. I've never read a book on the economy at all, but she makes it so, makes so much sense. So she's kind of used this model of the donut and in the outside of the donut is the, the limit of, of what we can do. It's kind of the restraints of our environment, the world and, and everything. And, and within the donut is kind of all the, the social things, you know, the economy, the housing, equal rights, you know, all these kind of social type of issues. And you don't want people to fall into the, the hole in the middle. <laughs> so you've got these two boundaries, kind of the social boundary and, and the boundary of the environment. And, and she pulls everything together. And, and, and it's a work in progress to find out how we can keep people in the sweet spot of the donut. So on one hand, I've got this terrific optimism. She's got lots of um, TED Talks. You can, I, I started a Waterloo Region Donut Economy Action Lab on Facebook. I haven't been doing a lot because I'm not doing a lot of anything. <laughs> you know, life is slowed down. So, so on one hand, you've got this incredible optimistic, we know how to do this. We just have to do it. 
And then on the other side, we've got this deep adaptation group that's out there. Um, so I can't remember the name of the, the guy. He wrote a paper on it in the UK. And, and so they're like, well, we're, we're screwed. So we have to, society is going to collapse. Civilization is going to collapse. How do we best adapt to that? So you've kind of got both extremes, just like you do in politics, in vax versus anti-vax. So how do we find that center spot to talk, that common ground? And, and maybe children are the unifiers. I, I don't know. But, but yeah, something, hopefully. something has to be done. We're, we're, we're kind of shitty negotiators. Like, like we don't know how to kind of talk to each other with people that are in opposites of, of how we're thinking. So, so how do we bring that together? Oh, and, I and should say, I should say, could I throw this in? Please. <laughs> because it's the most brilliant. It's, I don't know. I, I just have so much admiration. There's, there's a, I can't remember his name either because I don't remember names anymore. But there's a, a blues musician in the States and he's black. And so he's had sorts of issues with racism. And so what he has done, he, he has met individually with KKK members, like Ku Klux Klan members. Yeah, and I've heard like, of that. I've seen that guy. Yeah. And he says, how can you hate me if you don't know me? Yeah. And so he just sat down like, you know, two bros. Yeah. Talked about each other. Yeah. And, and like he's he's collected like, you know, at the time it was like 200 KKK rows. Good. Awesome. Because he made that connection as a person. And that makes me think of our conversation we had here on the pandemic show with the one and only Murray McLaughlin. He was deeply impacted by the murder of George Floyd, a preventable death. And he wrote his 20th album, Hourglass, and he had a song, I Live on a White Cloud. And I know as a white male with privilege in Ontario, I found it helpful to listen to that song and uh, hear from Murray an icon and he said you got to turn your eyes inside you got to figure out where the ignorance came from and figure out what you need to do to get rid of it i think that's one of the positives of the pandemic that there has been a lot of conversation around positive change i also think about our conversation with tom jackson and how he was inspired by when all the remains of residential school victims the children were found in kamloops bc which led to thousands more bodies being identified of little children that were that died under genocidal residential school policy and i know that it really kind of stopped canada for a couple days and brought everybody's consciousness together to mourn those children it's interesting how the past is bubbling up here during the pandemic and hopefully allowing us to reinvent a more positive future is human nature going to entirely change where one group where one group doesn't oppress other groups for economic benefit and for resources? Maybe that's too idealistic. Maybe we need aliens to come to Earth and then <laughs> humanity can unite because there's another other to be afraid of. Well, David, funny you should mention aliens because I, I wrote a book called 2080, The Return of Pareto. It, it's kind of an eco sci-fi. Anyway, there are there are aliens in there and, and we're hoping they'll save us. Unfortunately, it's turning out true in this book that I wrote. It's just all the different aspects are like, oh my God, this just happened. This just happened. But horrible things have happened and continue to happen. But there seems to be a response around like Black Lives Matters. I don't know more. It's and I remember a podcast I heard early on in the pandemic when Philadelphia was having people were out on the streets demanding better. And uh, there was kind of an, a, mili a military approach taken on people. And the police were rounding up lots of people. And there was 
there was a van full of people being driven to a detention center who'd been arrested. And one of them was a journalist. Journalists aren't safe anymore, apparently, in some places. If, if and, and it was a multicultural group of people who'd been detained by the police. They were not doing anything violent. They were just guilty by guilty by by location, guilty where they were. And they were talking in the paddy wagon as they were taken to the detention center. There's an old black man there who'd been involved in the civil rights movement for decades. And he said that something has changed. And what has changed is that everybody's on the streets supporting everybody. There's more of a solidarity among people that are different. So that is exciting. It is exciting. As as we say in our environmental world, everything is connected. What do you think the world's going to look like when we're looking at COVID in the rearview mirror? Will we ever look at yes, COVID in the rearview mirror? Exactly. Well, I, I listened to, or there was a webinar a couple of months ago and it was, you know, when does the pandemic become endemic? And, and of course that's highly debatable when that's going to happen. It's wishful thinking on a lot of people's part, but I have low expectations now. I, I'm kind of doing what needs to be done and and when it happens, it'll be a wonderful thing, but it'll probably be quite gradual. I guess my biggest fear is that we're going to, you know, to get into the roaring 20s kind of thing. It's like freedom. Right? I'm going to travel. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And like, bang, up goes the carbon emissions because people are on the move again and buying things and whatever. So, so I don't know. We have very short term memories. With human society being kind of frozen and locked down. You did hear you do hear lots of stories about how wildlife was enjoying was enjoying its its ability to exist. Less animals were getting hit on the road. Less frogs were getting driven over. Turtles have returned to beaches in different parts of the world. Sea turtles that they weren't able to go to. Apparently the water cleaned itself up in Venice. And I do think we are headed towards some kind of cultural renaissance hopefully a political renaissance as well. So many people have been using this time to be creative. So I'm excited for when we're all, however many vaccines it's going to take where we can get together and be in close quarters. I'm hoping that we are going to see changes and a reduction in structural racism and in income inequality. I don't claim that it'll be easy, but I'm hoping that that's what it's going to happen. And I do, when you hear that there's people organizing in Baden to stand up to white supremacy and you hear about the successes around the indigenous gardens that are helping with reconciliation in the township. There's so many positive things, but it doesn't bleed. It doesn't lead. You don't necessarily hear about it in the commercial press. Before we go, and thank you so much for your time today. No one's alone on the pandemic show. Stories of the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Have you noticed a strengthening at the neighborhood level? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've got terrific neighbors on my street that we now have a Facebook group page for for this street. And, you know, someone has a lost cat, someone has whatever. You're walking on the street now instead of going to the gym. So you're getting to see your neighbors and talk to your neighbors and, you know, maybe hang out in the backyard and have a beer kind of thing. So it's, it's good. It's a really positive thing. I, I hope that continues. I always worry that people forget things so yeah. quickly. But maybe people talking to people they normally, they wouldn't otherwise have been talking to, especially people that are in close geographic yep. uh, proximity, maybe that will help spark the change. I hope so. I hope that, that, yeah, I'd like to be optimistic about this. Well, Susan, I can't thank you enough for joining us here today. On the Pandemic Show. <laughs> Stories of the Pandemic for the people of the Pandemic. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Pandemi Show is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic. Do you have an interesting pandemic story and want to share? Email us at pandemishow at gmail.com. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to Giant Value for singing us in and letting us know everything is going to be all right. No one is alone at the pandemic show.